chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So I'm going to ask that you open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. I'm also going to ask if you can, uh, whether it be on your phone or whether it be by actual Bible, paperback, um, if you want, you can meet me with, you can meet with me in Isaiah chapter 9, or you can just uh, follow along and, and stay in, in Luke. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a little bit of the shepherds and the angels this morning. As you know, we're celebrating or getting ready to celebrate the coming of our Savior, Jesus. And you know, like I said last week, I think it was, I'm not going to get any, into any kind of debate or discussion whether Jesus was actually born on December 25th or whether he was born in April. Uh, we're not going to discuss that, but we are celebrating the birth. We are celebrating the coming of our Savior. And what we're doing during this Advent time, like we discussed last week, we are preparing ourselves. We are spending time during this Advent period of the year anticipating the birth or the coming. Well, I get it. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but for today's Christians, guess what? We are awaiting another arrival. And there is a chance during your lifetime or mine that Jesus, who originally came in humility, may come in full glory and his majesty as the bridegroom to come and to get his bride. We aren't for sure when or how that may happen, but we are anxiously awaiting because I don't look on the news or if you ever scroll through your phone, this world is in a very bad shape. I mean, we are in a great need as the world continues to move. And as time continues to tick, so we as Christians should be very, very intentional during this time of the year to prepare our hearts, not just to celebrate the original coming of Jesus born 2,000 years ago in the little town of Bethlehem, but we better be doing everything we can like we discussed last week. We better be living as John the baptizer did crying out in the wilderness as we know the world is completely wild and mad to prepare themselves for the coming of the king because Jesus is coming back. And if he doesn't split the heavens wide open right now, eventually you and I will breathe our very last breath. There is a one in one chance that you and I will die and we will see him face to face. So we have to be anxiously anticipating that time. So during this Advent period of the year, we are looking at things that Jesus brought that no one else could. Last week, we discussed joy and how even though you may not enjoy the circumstance you find yourself in right now, you can still possess joy. Because joy is more than just an emotional feeling attached to the circumstance as happiness or sadness is. Joy is a spiritual gift that God gives, fruit of his spirit, that you and I can endure all things with joy. We can count all trials joy. We can face any circumstance with joy, though we may not enjoy where we are. So today we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 and we're going to discuss peace. Peace. So if you could join me in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. This is the shepherds and the angels. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So they sang and they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, the word we see is peace, peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you were to go all the way back to the prophet Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, one of the most popular Christmas themed verses that you'll find on Bible verse, you know, coffee cups or, or so on, which is, it's rightfully placed. Chapter nine, verse six, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and and his name shall be called. And we read four attributes, four names that is given to this son. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let me just ask one question to kind of get the ball rolling. Could your life use a little more? I mean, could you in your life use a little more peace? You know, I would say that at the rapid speed that life moves at this particular time and day, we could all use a little more peace. Now, here is my my fear, is that all of us will long to see the day our life is more peaceful in this sense. Who here in their family could use a little more peace? You know, family functions are a little stressful or maybe family reunions are a little complicated. Uh, I can remember multiple family gatherings on on multiple sides and how people would just, uh, you know, they would just kind of complain and bicker and fight. And then all of of a sudden it turns into, you know, my family was kind of dysfunctional at times in certain parts of the family and they didn't always get along very well. So we could always have used a little more peace. Uh, what about our finances? Could we use a little more peace in our finances in the sense of if my income was just a bit greater and my expenses were just a little bit lower, my debt was a little bit less, could, we use, could you use a little more peace? What about in the workplace? Could we use a little more peace in our workplace with the understanding of job security and, the, and that my job, regardless of what you're doing right now, it can endure another pandemic or, or regardless of what happens in the world, my job will be here. So, so we all long to see things a little more peaceful because when mo- things are more peaceful, they're less stressful. And when things are less stressful, you tend to sleep a little bit better. You tend to make wiser decisions. You tend to be a little bit healthier. You tend to be a little bit more generous. You tend to be a little bit more helpful and and so on and so forth. So we are all longing to see our lives a little more peaceful. And we understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we understand that the angels told the shepherds in Luke chapter two, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, let's just kind of 
attack our understanding of peace for a moment because what my fear is is that many people will long to see a peace in a very carnal form that Jesus did not necessarily come to bring. Because if we misunderstand the peace that Jesus brings, we will long to see our family completely restored and everybody get along. Let me just tell you, that may never happen. If we, if we long to see peace in our workplace to where people get along and people care for one another and my job security is always promised, uh, I hate to tell you, but that may not always be the case. There's always a chance that your job could be completely removed. You're, there's always a chance that there, another pandemic could, could break out and that people could be laid off. Your hours could be cut. You could lose your job altogether. Uh, it, if there's a promise of peace with our health and no one would get sick and no one would be ill and no one would face the uncertainty of tomorrow, uh, all of these areas that we came, that we long to have peace in, you know, I want to make wiser decisions with my health so, so I can live longer and I want to have peace of mind when it comes to that. But here's what we have to understand. Jesus did not just come to make your life more peaceful. He came to make it to where you and I, as sinners enslaved to sin, broken people who are filthy rags in the sight of a holy, righteous God, he came to deliver us, to redeem us, and to make it a way that you and I could have peace with a holy and a righteous God. That is the peace that Jesus came to bring. And here's what we have to do. And this is what I want to challenge you with. Are you at peace with God. I mean, are you at peace with God? If you say, well, I think so. You know, I, I'm living a good life. I'm a good person. Here's how you know that you are at peace with God. It says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Is God pleased with you Understanding that you will never live up to his standard and you can never be perfect enough or holy enough to ever earn his approval or, or receive too much of his love based off you. But those in whom he is pleased are those who have truly, genuinely, and very sacrificially killed their way of life to pick up the cross that Jesus commands us to pick up on a daily basis. Those with whom he is pleased are those that have come to true submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. Whenever he said that I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. Those with whom he is pleased are those people that have come to complete submission to him. They believe that he is the only way to salvation, that they believe that he is the truth. He is the life. They believe that whenever Jesus died on the, on the cross, all of the their sin was nailed to it and all of his blood covered them. And whenever Jesus left the tomb empty, that he promised eternal life for them. Those people that follow him, that live in repentance, that are being sanctified by his spirit are those who are pleased and those who are with in peace with God. So we have to ask ourselves, are we at peace with God? And a better way maybe to, under, to understand that question is to ask yourself, if I were to die right now, and stand before my God. Would he tell me, depart from me, for I did not know you, you worker of lawlessness, because I continue to live in sin, doing things I know that are wrong, and I just continue to comfortably live in them, and I can just, just choose them? Or would he tell you, welcome home, my good and faithful servant? Well, I mean, if you were to breathe your last breath right now, because here's the reality. Every single one of us will stand before our Savior one day. 
And every single one of us are going to hear one of two things. Get away from me. I did not know you. Depart from my presence. And there, there we will carry out the sentencing of eternal separation and eternal condemnation in a place known as hell. And we will, and we will be tortured. And it'll be painful. And it'll be horrific for all of eternity. Or those of us who truly believe, truly confess, truly repent, truly call upon his name, truly follow him, we will live in complete, we will live with peace with God here and now, but we will also be able to stand before him one day and he will say, job well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. I've been preparing a place for you. Let me show you. This is the kind of thing that we have to come to answer if we want to truly live with peace. Now, here's what happens with a lot of people. They say, well, I'll fix my life when I'm older. You know, I'm going to enjoy my life now. I'll get it together when I reach 40 or 50 or 60. And I hate to tell you, no one in this place knows the time, the day or the hour in which it may come for you to see him face to face. No one knows exactly the expiration date that's on your life or mine. Therefore, if we try to postpone making peace with God, or if we try to postpone the day and age in which we come to full submission to him or completely surrender to him, then there is a possibility that you and I will be very slightly, very surprised whenever we stand before him and he say, depart from me for I did not know you, you worker of lawlessness. So we have to understand whether we are at peace with God or not. Jesus did not come just to make your life a little more comfortable. He did not come just to make your pay a little bit better. He did not come just to make your family a little more pleasant. He did not come just to give you a 30-year retirement fund. He came so that you could have peace with God. He came so that you who were once dead in your sins and trespasses could be called a child of God. He came so that you and I who were once sinful, broken people could be resurrected to new life in him. So what is this peace? How do, we, how do we obtain this peace? Let me just tell you this. You will never give enough money. You will never serve enough time and you will never attend church enough. You'll never sing loud enough. You'll never preach enough to ever obtain the peace that God gives. So I brought this Carhartt with me and, and this is what it looks like. The term that I've used before and I wanna rem- remind you of it is this, the imputed righteousness of Christ. So, so if you're thinking, if you're writing imputed, I-M-P-U-T-E-D, imputed, righteousness of Christ. If you remember the words of the Apostle Paul, whenever he said, for our sake, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe verse 21, he says, for our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew what? No sin. So that in him, we, broken sinners like you and I, could become the righteousness of of God. Becoming the righteousness of God means that we are now at peace with God. So I'm going to use the coat as an illustration. Then I'm going to read something from Psalm 85. And then we're going to see how it is that you and I can truly live starting right now. If we aren't at peace right now with God, we can leave these doors truly walking in peace. So when I, y'all see what I'm wearing, right? This is a, what is this kind of shirt? A flannel button up shirt. Now this flannel, huh? Plaid, sorry, flannel, not flannel, all right? This is a plaid button-up shirt. Now, I want you to understand this plaid button-up shirt represents all of my garbage, all of my sin, all of my mistakes, all of my flaws, all of my 
decisions, all of my words that I've said, all my thoughts. Well, when I put this Carhartt on and I zip it up, you can no longer see (laughs) my flannel or plaid, whatever you want to call it, shirt, but you can only see the jacket. So whenever you think about the term imputed righteousness of Christ, this is exactly what it looks like. So whenever you call upon the name of Jesus, whenever you follow him, whenever you are living in relationship with him and you, you are under his grace, the apostle Paul said that by grace through faith, you are saved, right? Not of any works. This is not a righteousness that you can ever obtain on your own. This is a righteousness. It is a gift from God by his amazing grace for people like you and I. So through our faith in Jesus Christ as savior and through our submission to him and our relationship with him, we put on what is called the imputed righteousness of Christ so that you and I can now cover up all of our sin, all of our mistakes, Based off who? Jesus. Based off him. So now that I have put on his righteousness, now that I have put on the imputed righteousness of Christ, now that I have come to true faith in Jesus and I live in genuine relationship with Jesus, I now walk around like this. Guess what? The plaid shirt's still on. It's still on. I'm still wearing the plaid shirt. It's still there, but from now on, I will walk with this imputed righteousness of Christ. Therefore, whenever God sees me now, he does no longer see me as the filthy ragged sinner that I am, but he sees me through the lens of the cross of Christ, his bloodshed, and he sees the imputed righteousness. So what happens is there's this beautiful thing that whenever God looks at someone who has been saved by Jesus, whenever he looks at him, he no longer looks at that particular man or woman as the broken, horrible sinner that they are, but he actually looks there and he sees himself. He sees himself. Because if I put on the imputed righteousness of Christ, as God looks at me, yes, I still fall short. Yes, I still rely on him daily. Yes, I still must deny myself and pick up my cross. But whenever I find myself under the, under the name of Jesus, whenever I find myself washed by his blood, whenever I find myself living in relationship with him, I now get to walk and I get to wear his name. And now I get to wear his grace. Now I get to wear his righteousness. So for the rest of my life, I will no longer be identified as that horrible, that broken, that nasty person, but I can now be identified as his son. You can be now identified as his daughter because Jesus came to bring peace. Well, it's kind of (laughs) hot. It's hot. So we put on the imputed righteousness of Jesus. God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. As I said, I think during our Easter series, as Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, he didn't open his mouth. Why? Because silence oftentimes indicates guilt. Jesus understood he could feel the weight of the world. He could feel all of the sin of the world pushed upon him. Therefore, he recognized he was now guilty because he has become sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. So as he stood before Pilate, he remained silent 
because of nothing he did, but because all of the sin of the world, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world is now fear, feeling the weight of sin. He is, he is moments away from experiencing and enduring the complete wrath of God being poured out upon him, which is why he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's understanding exactly what it feels like to not be at peace with God. Why? Because he is feeling for the very first time in all of eternity, the weight of sin, the weight of brokenness. And Jesus endured the full wrath of God. And we know that as he was buried, that he took our sins far, far away. And on the third day, he rose to give us new life. So during his death, his burial, and his resurrection, through him and him alone, Jesus gives us a way that you and I, as sinners, as broken people, as people with horrible mouths or horrible pasts or make horrible decisions, we can now be called his son. We can now be called his daughter. So how do we live with peace? How do we live in this imputed righteousness? Well, we have to understand in Psalm 85, verse 10, the psalmist writes that peace and righteousness kiss. Peace and righteousness kiss. So there is a relation between peace and righteousness. So you cannot live an unrighteous life according to the ways of the world and according to the lust of your flesh and expect to be at peace with God. You cannot just go on. And here's the thing. I would be leading you astray and possibly leading you straight to hell if I came in here every Sunday and I told you, hey, good job this week. Good job. Even though you did nothing right, good job. I would be leading you astray and I would be dangerous for your soul if I told you that there was no need to repent, there was no need to confess, there was no need to depend on him. I would be doing you a disservice coming in here every week if I just told you, yep, just keep doing what you're doing. You're at peace with God. God loves you. No, no, no. There is a time and place in our lives that we come to full recognition of our sin. Paul says to work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. So there comes a point in time where you and I are drawn by his spirit, where he begins to draw us to himself. And we finally recognize in that very moment that I am a sinner in need of a savior. My savior's name is Jesus. My savior took my sins upon himself and carried them to the cross and was nailed to it and hung in complete humiliation. And on the cross, he carried my sins too. He nailed my sins to the tree. And we come to this point in life where we recognize our sin. We recognize our need for Christ. We recognize this need to make right and have peace in this relationship with our Father. So what do we do? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It begins with that recognition. It then goes to belief and confession, submission. We're born again. We take the plunge. Then for the rest of our lives, the rest of our lives, we are living in constant sanctification by his spirit to where he is molding us and he is shaping us into a better reflection of himself. So we are constantly growing in righteousness so that as we constantly grow in righteousness, we constantly live at peace with God. So here is how you can leave here today and begin to walk with peace with God. First, you must live in preparation. You must be prepared. You must be prepared. You've got to be prepared. You must be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And you may say, well, preacher, 
Don't you know the story? He was born 2,000 years ago, and he was wrapped in the linen cloth. Yeah, but then I also read, and you can read over and over, that Jesus spoke about it. His apostles wrote about it. He's coming again. He preaches a parable in Matthew chapter 24 about 10 virgins that go with lamps. Five of them had oil, five did not. And all these women are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. And it's a later evening than they were expecting. And time goes on a little bit longer. And and the five women without oil were not able to burn their lights like the other five that took the oil with them. So what happens in the middle of the night? They say, hey, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. And the five women that did not have, the five virgins that did not have the oil, they are saying, hey, we need some oil. Can we borrow some of yours? And they're telling them, no, 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 go and get your own oil. So these five virgins, they go and they get their oil. They have to go buy oil because they weren't prepared themselves for the arrival of the bridegroom. And they go get this oil. And whenever they come back to meet the bridegroom and they come back to meet with the other five women, the door is shut and they knock on the door and they are not allowed in. That represents the people that tell themselves, well, whenever I get there, I'll try to justify myself. I'm not gonna prepare myself now. I'm not gonna surrender now. I'm just gonna live however I want. I'm gonna make decisions based off me. I'm gonna live and sin comfortably. I'm gonna spend my free time doing that. I'm gonna do all the things that I know are completely against the way of God. And I'm going to do it all for as long as I want. And if something happens where I pass before I write things with the Lord, then maybe when I get there, he'll just have grace and he'll just welcome me in. We must be prepared. When Peter and John ran to the tomb on that particular third day, they saw a couple things that happened. There was no body. There were empty linen cloths. And then there was a face cloth folded up and put in a proper place. And Jewish tradition stated that as a master would eat, reclined at table, they would take their towel, their face cloth, and whenever they were finished eating, they would wad it up and they would just throw it onto the table. That was an indication to the servant to go and clean the master's plate because he was finished. Now, if a master was interrupted during dinner, he would take his face cloth and he would fold it up into a nice neat spot and he would put it on the table. Well, whenever you read the gospel account of Peter and John running to the tomb, you read that the face cloth was folded in a very particular way, which indicates that he's coming back. He's coming back. So are you prepared for it? If the skies are split wide open right now, after you are on your way home, I mean, the world's going to be flipped upside down in a matter of seconds, and he is coming back. Are you prepared? I mean, if he were to come right now in his full glory and majesty and say, okay, I'm coming to get my bride. Are you the one that was prepared? You had your oil ready. You've been sanctified. You've been saved by his amazing grace. You've been living in relationship with him. Are you prepared? And the second way is that you live in a personal relationship with him. A personal relationship with him. You cannot call yourself a Christian and live without a relationship, genuine relationship with Jesus because then you would be a church attendee. Church attendees do not make it to heaven. Followers of Jesus do. Followers of Jesus, those that are prepared, those that surrender themselves, those that live in constant repentance. And whenever you live in relationship with Jesus, you do as he says. What did he say? He says, you will, if you truly love me, you will obey my commands. You will obey my commands. 
You will deny yourself daily and pick up your cross. You will live according to my way and not on your own. So whenever we live and we want peace with God, we cannot live on our own, do things however we want, and expect God to just bless it and provide us with peace, and he'll just put the cherry on top. We better be prepared, and we better live in relationship with him. And that relationship starts with him saving our soul, and we live in such a manner that we obey his command. So then what we do for the rest of our lives, from the time of conversion, from the moment of being born again, again, until the very moment we die, we are constantly being sanctified. His spirit is working. His spirit is convicting. His spirit is shaping. His spirit is challenging. His spirit is bringing things out of us. His spirit is leading. And here's one thing to keep in mind. The more you grow in repentance, the more, in, the more you grow in righteousness. So the more that you repent of your sin, the more that you turn away from worldliness, the more and more you turn to godliness. And the more and more you turn to godliness, the more and more you obey his commands. And the more and more you obey his commands, the more and more that you grow in his love. And the more and more that you grow in his love, the more and more at peace you feel with the Lord. Because here's the thing, and I know we've met those people. They will spend their entire lives wondering, am I really saved? Does God really love me? Just do as he commands surrender to him, follow him, obey his commands, call upon his name and only his name and look for him as the only source of your salvation and obey him, live in repentance, be in constant repentance of your sin, constant turning away from worldly lifestyles and fleshly lusts and constantly growing closer to him. There's an old Bible verse that says, you and I are to hunger for hunger and thirst for what? righteousness. Not for God making our families a little more peaceful or pleasant, but we ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I want to end with this. If you and I, mis, if you and I misinterpret the peace that Jesus comes to offer, we will expect it in carnal ways. Well, Jesus said something in Matthew chapter 10. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he's referring to the fact that he did not come just to make your family a little more pleasant. In fact, he will actually cause some of us to be rebuked by our family because of our faith in Jesus. He, he has caused some of us to lose friendships because of our faith and our commitment to Jesus. So yes, he is the Prince of Peace, but he did not come to bring peace in a carnal way just to make everybody more pleasant and everything go a little bit smoother. He came to redeem your soul from the pits of hell and make you at peace with God. That's the peace that Jesus came to bring. And you can live in that peace for all of eternity. And if that is not, if you are not at peace with God, peace in any other area of your life is irrelevant. You should not do anything again in your life until you find yourself at peace with the Lord. Until you find yourself living in relationship with him, until you find yourself in complete submission to him. Because here's the thing, that is the only way to spend eternity with him. You can have all the peace in your wallet you want and still be sentenced to eternal separation. You can have the best family in the world. You can have the greatest retirement fund ever. You can have the biggest home ever. You can have the most land ever. And all of it be a waste whenever you see him face to face. I'm coming today to help you recognize whether or not you are at peace with God. And peace and righteousness 
kiss. So do not leave here thinking, well, I will do whatever I want, live how I want, and I'll just go to church on Sunday and everything will be fine. Righteousness and peace do what? Kiss. I can't kiss my wife from here. I can't. In order for me to kiss my wife, I got to be close. I can't just try it from over here or try from, I got to be close. So in order for you to experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and be at peace with God, you must pursue and live in righteousness. So today I want to end with asking you that question. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? And the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing a song. And this song is titled, Holy Night or Silent Night. And it's an old, old song. And here's what I want you to do. This song is titled Silent Night, correct? It's titled Silent Night. And I want you to just imagine 2,000 years ago, it was a silent night for one person and his name is Satan because when that baby was born wrapped in those linen cloths, the angels sang out peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. It was that very second in time in which this very holy and divine act of a child being born, Jesus, actually caused the enemy to go silent because in that very moment, not just the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world, but the hope for all humanity was now walking among the earth. And the Savior that would save all, man, all of humanity from their sin was now born. And, and the Redeemer for all broken, sinful people would then grow to crawl and to walk and then preach and teach and then die and then rise again. So here's what I want to do. This is an old Christmas classic, Silent Night. I want to invite you to sing it with me, but I also want to invite you into this moment to truly ask yourself, are you at peace with God?